started off to give a Thanksgiving sermon, seeing as how this is the week of Thanksgiving. And in fact, I ran across a, a guy that I read, a guy named Douglas Wilson, his blog, his blog and May blog. And he was talking about Thanksgiving, and he says that Thanksgiving is a weapon in the culture war. I thought, oh, wow, that's cool. I ought to be able to craft a sermon out of that. So I started putting it together and studying and so forth, and the whole thing just turned this way and went off in that direction. So we'll see how it works. Let's start with Wilson, because he had a really good point. And he says that Thanksgiving is the antidote to envy, self-pity, and malice. He also says that envy, self-pity, and malice are the driving influences in our society today. Look at the news. You've got half of the country that's up in arms and rioting and so forth. The other half is angry. Did you watch any of the news yesterday? And you saw scenes on Friday of mobs in the stores fighting with each other. And what they're fighting over, by the way, is televisions. find that hard to fathom, but they are. So the whole driving thing here is envy, covetousness. And this is where it sort of took a turn and went off in another direction. The root of all of this is autonomy. And I've talked to you about this before. Autonomy is, is, is a Greek word, uh, which means self-law. So someone who is autonomous makes his own law. And I'm going to suggest to you that the root of all of this garbage that we see going on now is autonomy. And I want to build that case for you. One of the things that we're finding right now is the church lacks authority. Again, paying attention to the news, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the head of the Church of England, said, oh, well, God is gender neutral. But the point I'm making here is what's happened is instead of the church being in authority, the church is chasing the culture. So the church has no confidence in its own authority. And so in order to be relevant or whatever you want to do, what they've done is they've said, where's the culture going? I will try and get out ahead of it. It's sort of like we had an old saying in the army, which way are they going? I'm their leader. I need to get in front of them. That's what much of the church has become. There's a movie, and we were talking about this on a Tuesday night Bible study, and I think it's absolutely perfect. It's about 20 years old now, so some of you young people may not have seen it, called Men in Black. Yeah, about half of you laugh because you've seen no deep theological significance, but it's a very fun movie. Anyway, the premise of the movie is that there are aliens among us, and there's a scene in there where you've got the typical Hollywood bad guy, redneck, so forth, and an alien comes in and kills him, skins him, and puts on his skin and walks around in his skin for the rest of the movie. And it's semi-spastic, you know, he doesn't do a very good job of imitating a human, but that, that's just camouflage, like, like a duck blind, right? And this guy's name is Edgar, the guy that got skinned, not the alien. And so what we have now is an Edgar church. It is walking around in the skin of the church, but there's aliens inside, and they aren't doing what the church is designed to do. You know, I happen to be picking on the Anglican church, because they're sort of the latest one, but I mean, the Catholic Church, unfortunately, is doing much the same thing. They have this terrible crisis going on. So it isn't just confined to one branch, but it's all over. 
So I am now coining a phrase, and any time I say it from now on, you'll know what I mean. I'm talking about the Edgar Church, which is a church that looks like the church, but it really isn't. And as I say, this Archbishop of Canterbury is sort of symptomatic of that because he doesn't believe in his own authority and feels that he has to imitate the culture in order to stay relevant, which means that when somebody wakes up and says, there's got to be something more to life, and he turns to the church, often there's nothing there. That's why that's important. And as we're studying end times, one of the things that's going to happen is the false prophet is going to be a member of the Edgar Church. And what the false prophet is going to do is convince the uneducated that the Antichrist is the real deal. That's why the Edgar Church is important. Because they don't provide the comfort, succor, and direction that people need. And furthermore, they're going to be instruments of deception. So everybody has a solution to this problem. We go back to the 50s. The 50s were when it was, right? We go back to the time of the founding. Go back to the 17th century. That's when it was. I will suggest that you aren't going back far enough. Where you have to go back to is Sinai. Now let me explain what I mean. Leviticus chapter 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. That's a bit odd. And you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. So we've got God in there saying, I'm God, keep my Sabbaths, don't make idols. And then we sort of flop mom and dad in there. And what I'm going to suggest to you is that's critical. I mean, if it wasn't critical, Moses wouldn't have written it, right? And the deal here is, parents represent authority. God represents authority. And what parents are is the link between children and God in a chain of authority. One of the things that's happened in our society, if you look at television, is a destruction of the authority of parents in our popular entertainment. That's deliberate. The whole point of autonomy is there is no authority. You make your own law. That's what autonomous means, remember? And what God is saying here in Leviticus is, no, you are under authority. Everyone is under authority. And it starts off as little kids when you're physically bigger than they are. And you can grab the little heathens and say, no, you can't do that. I mean, besides plumbing and delivery, there's a reason they start them off smaller than you are. Because when they're that big, you can't do that anymore. And if you haven't established authority by that time, you're in real trouble. So the chain is, I want you to be holy. Parents, you need to teach them what it means to be holy. And then you parents need to point them toward God, who is the ultimate authority. Now, the other thing that's in that Leviticus passage, which is kind of interesting, is honor your father and your mother, keep my Sabbaths, cool. And then it turns, don't turn to idols or make yourselves any gods of cast metal. And again, there's two things in that phrase. There's idols, and there's gods of cast metal. Now, my lightning fact mind says when it says that, that must mean that there's a difference between gods of cast metal and idols, right? 
Otherwise, it's redundant. And God is not known for redundancy. So, what's an idol? Well, fortunately, Paul tells us. It's both in a Colossians and Ephesians. You can get it in either place. Colossians 3.5 Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So what Paul tells us is that idolatry is, in fact, covetousness. The little icons of cast metal over here, don't do those either. But idolatry we're talking about here is covetousness. And remember what I started off with is envy, self-pity, malice, and I'm suggesting that those are textbook definitions of covetousness. Wanting what somebody else has for yourself. You're envious of them. You are self-pitying because, oh, poor me, I don't have what whoever has, has. And I'm going to get that sucker who has more than I have, and I'm going to make him pay or make him suffer because he has it and I don't. That's all covetousness. So, one of the things about authority that we really, really don't like is authority makes you do things you don't want to do. That's sort of the nature of authority. If authority isn't at some point making you do something you don't want to do, then it is no authority. It's just, oh, where are they going? I'm their leader. I need to get out in front of them, which is what much of the church is doing. That's not authority. That's Edgar. It looks like authority, but it doesn't act like authority. And much of the church today is terrified of the prospect of telling people that they can or can't do something they don't want to do. Because what's going to happen is somebody is going to get all autonomous and say, well, you can't tell me to do that, and walk off in a huff. Absolutely terrifies them to exercise authority. But authority is essential. We are designed to be under authority. God tells us at Sinai, we're designed to be under authority. Now, let's go up to all men are created equal. Founding myth of the United States. Jefferson was not writing scripture. Jefferson is not a prophet. What Jefferson was saying was, we do not want a hereditary aristocracy. That's the reason that phrase is in there, because we were breaking away from England that had a hereditary aristocracy, and we decided we were going to try self-government, and we did not want a hereditary aristocracy. very famous phrase of his, it is not the case that some men were born with saddles and others were born with boots and spurs to ride them. That is against a hereditary aristocracy. But what happens with Edgar? Edgar looks at that and says, we're all equal. But wait a minute, you're rich and I'm poor. We're not equal. Therefore, there's something wrong here because we're not equal. And it says in the Declaration of Independence, we're supposed to be equal. You're smarter than I am. You're more handsome than I am. You can sing better than I can. All of those things. We're not equal. Therefore, there's something badly wrong, and we need to fix it. And that's what's driving our society right now. Anybody heard the phrase, he's not my president? Sure. That's autonomy speaking. That is, I am my own law, and I do not accept authority that I don't like. That's what we're dealing with. See, I told you this went off in a strange direction from Thanksgiving. I was not planning to do all this. Okay, so, coming back to Leviticus. What it says in Leviticus is, basically, revere your mother and your father. 
Now, if you have a life which is meaningless, you are not going to be grateful to your mother and father for giving it to you. And so what mother and father are supposed to do is use their authority to point you to God, which is the thing that gives your life meaning. And parents, having had their authority destroyed by the culture, are not being very successful pointing their children to God, and the institutions that are supposed to do that, which is the Edgar Church, is not doing a very good job of taking those children and giving their lives meaning. Because autonomy does not generate meaning. Doing whatever you damn well please is not a source of meaning. It's entertaining for a while, but ultimately it is empty. And so if you have a life that has no meaning, then you have no gratitude towards your parents. And similarly, you have no gratitude toward God. And one of the things I'm going to suggest is a meaningful life is one that mirrors the characteristics of God. Remember we said, be holy because I'm holy? God is saying, imitate me. Be like me. And your parents are the link to get you to be like me because they should also be like me and they will then take you and move you toward me. And being like God as best we can, obviously nobody's going to be God. We don't have the bandwidth for no other reason. But as best you can, trying to be like God is what gives your life meaning. Every time we have lunch, Nathaniel prays a prayer. You shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Gratitude. And it's important to understand, and I've said this many times, but it's worth saying again, there is no limit to what you lack. No matter how much you have, the stuff you don't have is infinitely greater. So the key to a peaceful and happy life is, to the best of your ability, being holy as you can, but also learning to be satisfied with what you have. And I'm now back to my blog and may blog pastor, Wilson. When he says that Thanksgiving is a weapon in the culture war, Thanksgiving reminds you of authority. Because when you give thanks to God, what you are reminding yourself of is there is an authority above you, and that authority is good, and that authority wants you to prosper, and everything you have in some measure is from Him. That's the power of thanksgiving, is it reminds you that you are under authority, and it is a good authority. Let me quote from Deuteronomy. I'm in Deuteronomy 8, verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have given me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Remember what Paul says idolatry is? Covetousness. So if instead of giving thanks to God for whatever it is you have and some of you have a lot more than I have and some of you have less than I have but you all have something to give thanks to God for and in thanking God you remind yourself that you are under authority and you remind yourself 
that this culture that we are in has rejected authority. And you don't want to be like that. Go out and give thanks.